You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If we haven't met before, my name's Sam, and uh, I serve as one of the pastors. I've been away for the last few weeks, and uh, I had a chance to travel a little bit. I got to go back to Ontario, where I was actually raised, and see my family, which I hadn't seen in about two and a half years. And so they got to meet our our girls, uh, Harper, for the first time, which was special. But it's so good to be back together with you today. This is my friend Rachel. And uh, why don't you say hi, Rachel? Yeah, there we go. And uh, Rachel's going to read our scripture this morning. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with us to Exodus chapter 20? Uh, We're going to start in verse 8, and we'll read that in just a moment. But maybe what I'll say as you turn there is uh, Rachel's one of our kids' leaders and serves faithfully week after week serving our kids. You know, at CA Church, we don't have a babysitting service that happens during this main service. The kids are actually experiencing church down there. They're worshiping together. They're learning from the Bible. And that takes a lot of really dedicated volunteers who put that on week after week. And so I just want to take a moment, and can we just thank and celebrate all the kids leaders who serve in our church? Rachel being one of those. Okay, if you have your Bibles, uh, would you stand with me? If you don't have your Bibles, could you still stand? The scripture is going to be on the screen. And uh, Rachel's going to read it for us. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. Well done. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and uh, for the Ten Commandments and specifically this fourth commandment on the Sabbath. And so I just pray that as we unpack this few verses together, I just pray that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us that we would have ears to hear this morning what it is that you want to say to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Thanks, Rachel. Good job. Well, as I was preparing for this talk this morning over this last week, I came across this story of a guy named Kamai Shuji. In the 1980s, he was considered to be this Japanese business prodigy. And after he graduated from college, he started working for a company called Ace Securities, which was this super well-respected brokerage firm that had a branch, a large branch, in Osaka, Japan. And like most college graduates that were hired by Ace, he started in external sales. This was known to be one of the least rewarding and hardest departments in the whole company. Across the whole globe, they said this was the the hardest one. And and so the first thing that he was assigned, as this guy who kind of had to earn his way in the company, the first thing he was assigned was to, uh, to call perspective, to cold call potential clients. And if you've ever done that before in a job, you know how hard that is. I've done that. In a job. And so, so he was assigned very normal work hours, 8.40 a.m. in the morning till 5 o'clock at night. But it didn't take long for Kamai to realize that there was no way he could generate enough leads if he just worked a 40-hour work week. And so he started working harder, and his days started getting longer and longer until he officially changed his work days to 6.40 a.m. To, to 10 p.m. 
seven days a week. He seemed to have this sort of superhuman stamina, this strong mental fortitude. And and his work ethic quickly made him him a rising star in this generation of Japanese stockbrokers. Success was his vision. Performance was his life. And he, he was on his way to the very top. He was among the youngest to be included in this kind of legendary business club. It was called the, the Kigyo Sensei Club, a sort of elite corporate warriors group. He started to get featured in, in business magazines and, and all sorts of corporate publications. Through that time, he was working 90-hour weeks, 13 hours a day, seven days a week. Kamai was all in. He was absolutely crushing it. University students who were coming out of university were idolizing him as this kind of picture of, uh, of prosperity and success. Until one October day in 1990, at a weekend sales seminar that took place in this beautiful resort in Japan, Kamai Shuji dropped dead. He's only 26 years old, but he collapsed on the floor. He had this massive heart attack. His body simply gave out. And Kamai's death rocked Japan. Over that next year, he seemed to become, it seemed, it seemed that more and more sudden deaths that were linked to overwork and exhaustion continued to surface. So much so that in those first few years in the early 90s, there was this medical term that was coined by the Japanese. It was this word called karoshi, which means death by overwork. And it's easy to hear a story like this about about Kuroshi, about this businessman, and to feel somewhat disconnected from it. Because it happened 30 years ago, and it was in a country that's separated by lots of land and water, kilometers of it, but Kuroshi is still very much alive today. And 30 years later, it's not only a concern for elite businessmen, but in many regards, Kamai's work ethic, his, his, his way of working hour after hour, day after day with no rest, has become a, a way of life around the globe. A study that was done by the International Labor Laws and uh, Labor Organization in 2016 found that there were 740,000 people that year that died of stroke or heart attack directly connected to overwork. Today in 2022, the World Health Organization says that 5% of all deaths around the world are directly connected to workplace stress and exhaustion. And death is only one concern of overwork and this kind of go, go, go lifestyle. But as a culture, our busyness is robbing our peace. And whether it's a CEO or a stay-at-home mom or a small business owner or a medical doctor or a pastor... Countless surveys are reporting that the majority of people are perpetually overwhelmed, which in many cases leads to like this crippling stress and anxiety, in some cases depression, as we live in this nonstop 24-7 world. And it seemed for a moment that in a strange way, the pandemic kind of solved this problem. I'll never forget this, this moment in March 2020. My family and I live um, on this really busy intersection of the Tri-Cities. And so there's always cars whipping by, rush hour traffic. There's horns and road rage and sirens. I'm really making my home sound like a horrible place. It is a wonderful place. This is just the dark side of it. But I remember this one specific day. I think it was around the 15th to 20th of March 2020 where I went outside. And for the first time since we moved in, there was silence. Not a single car on the road. 
And, and remember all that free time that we had in, in 2020? People took new hobbies. Bread making seemed to become this global phenomenon. Any bread makers here today? Yeah, I see you. And, and at that same time, the kind of work from home phenomenon started. And many of us loved the flexibility of getting to work from home. Remember all, all the rage about uh, sweatpants on Zoom calls and how convenient that was. And, and, and many of us loved it. But, but there's also challenges to working from home. From your home becoming your office, where, where the lines of separation become increasingly blurred between work and family, between work and business and, and pleasure. We're available around the clock with our emails and text messages and social media notifications. All of it's just one click away. And our phones are the first thing oftentimes that we look at when we wake up and the last thing that we look at before we go to bed. Recent studies that I was reading are saying that, that even if our calendars aren't as full as they once were pre-pandemic, like in 2019, which it seems as though for many people calendars are starting to fill up again, but even if they're not like they once were, that, that even if our calendars aren't as full, our, our brains are full. And with this nonstop rhythm of work with no limits, work with no rest, it's doing a sort of violence to our souls. As John Tyson said, we're experiencing karoshi in slow motion. Our pace of life and this obsession with accomplishing more and more is causing many of us to suffer from a form of spiritual karoshi as our bodies and souls are being continually overwhelmed and neglected. But the maker of our bodies, he knows our limitations. And that's the reason that from the very beginning of time, God built into the rhythm of creation, this rhythm of work and rest. Look again at Exodus chapter 20, which Rachel read so beautifully for us. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That word Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word called Shabbat, which we see sprinkled all throughout the Old Testament. It, it literally means to rest, to rest from labor, or simply translated, it's a day of rest. And so in those Ten Commandments, we see that God commands his people to take a day of rest, to work for six, and then to stop, to rest, to cease from work for a whole day, for 24 hours. And the reason for this, according to the text, is the way that creation was modeled in the very beginning. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Have you ever wondered why God rested? Why did God rest? I mean, he's God. He, he has no need for sleep. He made sleep. He has unlimited resource. He's all-powerful. He's self-sufficient. Why did God rest? Well, I love this. I believe that the reason that God rested is he was building into the very fabric of creation this rhythm for work and rest. All the way back in creation, God was modeling for us his creation, this rhythm for work and rest. And here's maybe an important thing to say is, is that both work and rest are a good gift from God. You know, contrary to maybe public opinion, Work is not a result of sin entering the world or the fall. Work is, God, God gave humans the ability and, and, and the, the assignment to work, to build civilization, to build culture, to work. He gave this responsibility long before sin ever entered the world. Work is a good gift from God. But also, rest 
is a good gift from God. If we rest with no work, our, lack, our life is, it lacks purpose and it lacks meaning. If we, if we work with no rest, we become exhausted and drained and anxious. And for lack of better words, we, we experience karoshi. And so the God-ordained pace for, for a healthy and fruitful life is work for six, rest for one. Work for six, rest for one. I feel like a lot of evangelical Christians have uh, an interesting relationship with the Sabbath, let's say. I, I feel like, like maybe we just don't know what to do with it. Like we know it's in the Ten Commandments, so we should probably take it seriously. But we don't really have a vision for what it could look like living in the 21st century, living in the world that we live in today. And, and while some Christian traditions over the years have specifically taught against the Sabbath, most just have underemphasized it, haven't talked about it. It's, it's kind of like that friend that you see at a party once in a while and you say, we should hang out, but you never actually do. Or maybe it's not a philosophical wrestle at all. Maybe we just forget. In, in the busyness of life and work and family and social life, the idea of, of Sabbath rest, it just gets pushed out of the margins of our life. I think it's interesting the way that this command starts. It's the only command of the 10 that starts like this. Did you catch the first word? If you have your Bibles open, maybe look down at it in verse 8. The very first word of this command is what? Remember. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's like God knew what he was talking about. I wonder if, if maybe God chose the word remember when talking about the Sabbath command because he knew this would be the most easy to forget. The Ten Commandments are listed in two different places in the Bible. They're listed in Exodus chapter 20, which is the passage that we've been working through in this Ten Commandments series. But then they're also noted in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And, and the, the, all Ten Commandments are listed. The, both lists are very similar. All ten are in both places. But there's a few distinct differences. And one difference is in this command about the Sabbath. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. It says, remember that, we, that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Okay, why is this significant? Well, in case you don't know the story, God's people had just spent hundreds of years as slaves in Egypt under the oppression of Pharaoh and, and his kingdom. But God rescued them out of that. He had rescued, if you've ever seen uh, The Prince of Egypt by Disney, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And, and God gives his people the, these Ten Commandments for a second time. But as he does, he reminds them that they're not slaves anymore, that they don't belong to Pharaoh anymore. Because here's the thing. If they weren't careful, the spirit of Egypt, that spirit of slavery would find its deep roots in their heart again. If they weren't careful, they'd revert back to living as slaves again. And so God's reminding them that you're free now. You're new master. He has this new way of, of, of work. And, and he's not demanding seven days a week work, turning, turning straw into bricks. Sabbath is this resistance, this resistance against the spirit of slavery, resistance in finding our identity in anything other than God himself. And I think that's something that we also need to remember as Christians living in the day and age that we find ourselves today, that we're not slaves anymore. You know, we're not slaves to our jobs or our employers or someone's expectations of us or even the expectations we place on ourselves. 
our value and our worth isn't, isn't in, in what other people think about us or what they say about us or our ability to perform in our work. We're not slaves. We've been bought with a high price and we belong to King Jesus now. And Sabbath is this weekly reminder. We're not slaves anymore. It's this resistance to the ongoing narrative of the world that you are what you do or that your worth is in how much you have or your status in the company or your ability to produce. But here's the thing. Religion, it takes things that are meant to bring freedom and it turns them into weapons of oppression. And and that's exactly what happened in the day and age where Jesus taught and and, and Jesus um, lived and walked. The Pharisees of the day, the religious teachers, they took the Sabbath. They took something that was meant to bring life and joy and remind God's people of their freedom and they turned it into a rule to follow. They, they followed the letter of the law, but they emptied it of its power. They, they, they didn't follow the heart of the law. If you, if you look at uh, Mark, in, uh, what passage was it here? In Mark chapter, could you, could you guys put it on the screen? Mark chapter 2. It says this. It says, one day, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples were walking along, they, they began to pick up some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are you doing what is unlawful? on the Sabbath. Okay, what are they talking about it being unlawful, of them breaking the the Sabbath commands? We just read the Sabbath commands in in the Old Testament, in both Genesis and in Deuteronomy. There was nothing in there that said that people couldn't have a snack, couldn't pick a head of grain. What are they talking about? Well, see, the Pharisees didn't only obey the Torah, didn't only obey the Ten Commandments, but they added all these additional rules. There was this, this added law book that they added called the Mishnah. And surrounding the Sabbath, there was 39 additional laws that they added, things like, specifically like, uh, how much of the day you should spend sitting down versus standing up, uh, how you should make your food, how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. So they added all these different rules. And we see all throughout the New Testament that, that Jesus has a very high value of the Torah, of Scripture, of the law of God. But he has very little interest, very little reverence for this kind of religious spirit that we see in in the Pharisees or this extra rule book that they had built. Look at the way that Jesus responds to the Pharisees. In that same passage, he said, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, the Pharisees had lost the plot line. They added all these rules and obligations and they made the Sabbath into something that it was never meant to be. They followed the letter of the law, but they lost the spirit of the law. And Jesus is saying, no, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this is where I think our context in the the day and age that we live in is a little bit different to the context where Jesus was talking, to that original group of Pharisees where Jesus was answering their question. See, See, for the Pharisees, I think what they needed to hear was this emphasis on the second part of the phrase, that man or humans are not made for the Sabbath. But I think that we, a group of people who have no extra laws surrounding the Sabbath, who have in many cases actually forgotten, forsaken this kind of idea of Sabbath, I think what we need to be reminded is that the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, that the Sabbath is a good gift from God for his people. And I don't think it's a coincidence that all throughout the gospel we see Jesus doing some of his greatest miracles on the Sabbath. Even the next chapter that follows this passage in Mark that we were looking at, Jesus heals this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And over and over again, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus do some of his greatest healings 
on the Sabbath. And this drove the Pharisees crazy. But Jesus was emphasizing and overemphasizing that the Sabbath day is about healing. Jesus did some of his greatest work, his greatest healings on the Sabbath. And that's been my story. Jesus has used this this practice of Sabbath to bring healing and life and restoration to my own body and soul. Um, Just a little bit of my story. In in 2014, um, I'd been serving in church ministry only for about five years at that point. And uh, I was working a full-time job and then part-time at the church that we were attending at the time. And uh, we were serving hard for God. We were working our regular jobs, but we were at the church seven days a week, you know, for, for all sorts of different ministries and engagement and youth ministry. And I was also the worship pastor at the time. And so I was leading worship. Our church was growing a lot. We were doing multiple services. So I was leading between three and five services every single weekend. And I loved what I was doing. It was so much fun. And, and I loved the people I was doing it with. But then one day in in 2014, a lot sooner than I ever anticipated, I kind of hit this wall. And and, and what happened in that day is, is, you know, I was was always a kind of happy-go-lucky guy. I loved being around people. I loved making new friends. I loved all those sorts of things. But but I, I remember this very dark season that I walked through where I was just so tired. Even the thought of being around people exhausted me. I was still leading worship multiple times a week, but I found that I I would lead worship and then immediately beeline it for the back door because I just couldn't handle being around people. I just felt so drained and exhausted and tired emotionally, physically, spiritually. I remember having this conversation with my wife where I said, I don't know if, I don't even know if I can do another five years of this, let alone make it to the end of the journey. I was strangely thinking about retirement at age 23. I had a long way to go. I was doing all this stuff for God, but the busier I got, the further I found that I was from him. I was crowding my life with all of this good stuff, Jesus-y stuff even. But as one preacher said, the work I was doing for God was destroying the work of God in me. I found that in my public life, I was rising to the top. I was writing songs, and I was gaining influence, but my, in my private life, I was exhausted and worn out and drained. And around that time, we heard some great teaching on the Sabbath, and I read some books on Sabbath. And, and so Jorley and I decided to try it out, to give this a shot. We'd never kind of rhythmed our life in that way, but we thought, you know, we need to make a change. We need to make a shift. Maybe we'll try this and see if it works. And what we found is that embracing the Sabbath made all the difference in our life. It's like God knew what he was talking about when he made it one of the Ten Commandments, that it's actually what was best for us. And it wasn't this silver bullet, like I started practicing the Sabbath and suddenly it it undid all of the overwork and, and days of go, go, go with no rest that I had done to myself. No, it was a process. But God used the Sabbath to bring healing and restoration to my soul. God used the Sabbath, among other disciplines, to do a great work in myself and and to teach me things about myself, some things that I didn't want to see in myself. And he also used it to teach me some things about him. So I just want to share three of those simple things with you today, some things that I learned and am learning about the Sabbath. The first is this, that, that God uses the Sabbath to undo the lie that we are what we do. I read this this interesting article um, in in The Atlantic by a journalist named Derek Thompson. And in the article, Thompson pointed out that in the 1930s, there were a number of sociologists that predicted that in the 21st century, which is the day and age that we live in today, 
he said that, that with the rise of technology, the average number of day or hours in a week that, that the average person would work would be 15 hours. And, and that idea and, and concept became more and more popular in, until 1957. This article was published in the New York Times predicting that as work became easier due to technology and other advancements, that in the future that people would be defined rather than by their work, that they'd be defined by their hobbies and their families, that they wouldn't be so defined by what they do. And so reflecting on that sort of false prophecy from the early 1900s, Thompson wrote this. He said, the economists of the early 20th century didn't foresee that work might evolve from a means of material production, get this, a means of material production, to a means of identity production. They failed to anticipate that for the poor and middle class, work would remain a necessity, but for the college-educated elite, it would morph into a kind of religion, promising identity, transcendence, and community. Call it the gospel of work. Isn't that interesting? He says that work evolved from simply material production to identity production. In other words, work has become not just something that we do to put food on the table or to make an honest living, but for many people, and I, I struggle with this myself, work has become so incredibly tied to our identity that it's in many cases become its own sort of religion. Like we worship work. And so Sabbath is this means of resisting the false narrative that, that we are what we do, this false narrative about our identity. Here's something that I never really recognized in the creation story that my friend A.J. Swoboda pointed out in his book. That, that humans, that, that humankind, Adam and Eve, were made on the sixth day of creation, right? And so he points out that, that if they're made on the sixth day, that means that their very first day of existence was a Sabbath day, was the seventh day, a day of rest, before they ever had an opportunity to perform before they ever had this opportunity to prove themselves or to earn the right to rest, came the Sabbath. They rested in the goodness of God before they ever produced a single thing, before they ever did a single day of work. It's powerful. And I think it's this beautiful symbolism that underlines the fact that we don't work to earn our position before God. But he calls us his beloved children before we ever do a single thing, before we ever work or earn, or produce, or win. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. Secondly, the Sabbath reminds us that, that we're not God. Marva Dawn, who's, who's a, an, a great theologian and author, she wrote this. She said, On the Sabbath day, we deliberately remember that we have ceased trying to be God and instead have put our lives back in his control. Concentrating on God's lordship in our lives enables us to return to his sovereign hand all the things that are beyond our control and that terrify us. Once those things are safely there, and as long as we don't stupidly take them back again, our emotions can find truly comforting and healing rest. I remember the first time that I started kind of practicing Sabbath back a number of years ago. I was so nervous to turn off my phone. I was so nervous to disconnect from my work because I thought, and I didn't say this to anyone, but this is my internal dialogue, I thought everything was going to combust without me, that everything was going to break down. And I remember that first day, I turned my phone off for 24 hours. Actually, I think that first time, it was just eight hours. It started in the morning. And at dinner time, I turned my phone back on, and it turned out that everything was fine. <laughs> And, uh, and, and I, was, I was relieved in one sense, but I was actually also a little bit disappointed 
because I realized that, that I wasn't as indispensable as I thought. And so for me, you know, rem- Sabbath is this opportunity to remember that, that he is God and I am not. That this is his church. That he was building it long before I was born and he'll build it long after I breathe my last breath. That I have a role to play on the earth in his church. I have an important role to play, but, but I'm not God. I'm not the one in control. I'm not sovereign over all things. I'm not the one who holds this church together. It's Jesus' church. And he invites us to partner with him, to join him in what he's doing, but he is the one who's building it. Sabbath reminds us that we're not God. And it helps us to release our grip and our desire to control. And then thirdly, Sabbath creates this intentional space for us to hear God's voice. I've had so many conversations with people, especially in this last season, where they say that they they really struggle to hear God's voice, to experience his presence. And that's hard. That's so difficult. And what I've often found in those conversations as we unpack and I ask questions is that for most people, and in many cases this would be my experience as well, we're just so busy all the time that we don't even have a moment to stop and listen and put down the distractions to hear God's voice. My theory is that God is always speaking, that he's always kind of speaking and and trying to engage with us. But for most of us, our heads are down, and any free moment we have, we're scrolling, or we're looking, or we're messaging, or we're replying to an email. We don't even have a single moment to listen to what he might want to say to us. What if the Sabbath creates intentional time in our week where we, where we intentionally shut out all the things that so easily distract us and that takes our attention and we just create space to be present, to be present with our families, without our phones in our pocket constantly vibrating and buzzing, and to be present with God, to have space and margin, to wonder at creation, to enjoy a great cup of coffee as the sun rises to take our walk for a dog, to read the book you've been wanting to read since maybe New Year's resolutions, or to sit at the playground with your kids and and just watch them play without having to rush off to a meeting or a class or an appointment. Okay, so as as we get ready to close, I I just want to get super practical for a second. Let's talk about the mechanics of it. How do we actually engage with Sabbath? Well, maybe one important note, a simple note that I'll make, is that Sabbath is different from a day off. On a day off, you do all the things you didn't get to do the rest of the week. You, you renew your license and registration. You vacuum the car. You, throw out the, you, you, you do your laundry. You do all these sorts of things you didn't get to do. Sabbath is different. Sabbath is a day, as we saw in the text, that, that is set apart as holy. It's a day that's, that's set apart. And, and so on the Sabbath, I think a really simple filter, and this is what we've done as we've pr- practiced Sabbath over the last seven, eight years. We filter everything we might do on the Sabbath day with this simple criteria. We say, is it rest and is it worship? Is it rest and is it worship? And if we filter it that way, then then I think it's important to say that what you do on a Sabbath is going to look very different depending on your DNA and your makeup. What, What fuels you and rests you and rejuvenates you is probably quite different than what rests and refuels and rejuvenates me. We're all made. For example, for someone, uh, going for exercise or playing sports might be incredibly rejuvenating. For another person, they only do that if someone's, if a trainer is yelling at them to do another push-up, right? And so for, for everyone, rest and refuel, re- rejuvenation looks different. And so I guess I say that to say, 
I'd encourage you to take some time over this next week, the coming weeks, the coming months, and just explore what are some things that you can do in your life to rest and refuel and rejuvenate. That's the invitation. What are some places where you, where you find that, that you encounter God the most? Maybe it's creating more time than normal on a Sabbath day to, to read scripture, to spend time in listening prayer, to go out for a walk in creation, to have a great meal with friends. And, and so, so think about those things. Discern those things within your unique personality, the way that God has made you, and then do those things. For Jorley and I, Sabbath has looked very different uh, before we had kids to now having a few kids under three years old. And, uh, and so I guess I say that to say it's going to look different in every season. And don't be discouraged if you look at your life right now and you think, I could never engage in the kind of day that you've just described. And so it's almost a waste to hear this because it's just not possible with my shift work or with what I'm doing or that sort of thing. And so I would say if that's what you're feeling right now um, is, is don't be discouraged. Sabbath is a journey, and, uh, and you might not be able to take, in your reality right now, you might not be able to take a full day aside for rest and worship, but start small. Start with a few hours. Start with half a day or an evening or Saturday morning. Turn off your phone. Maybe do a bit of a digital detox. I think that's so good for us. And, and just spend time in God's presence, in the presence of the people you love, just resting and worshiping with him. Okay, as we close, I just want to note, again, Sabbath is a journey. Don't be discouraged if your stage of life doesn't allow for this kind of day. Start small, work up. And I don't think that God is glorified or that our culture is renewed when his church is filled with driven and exhausted Christians. I hope you hear that the practice of Sabbath is not a burden that's to be placed on us, but is a good gift that enables us to find rest and perspective and delight and grace amidst the pressures of a demanding world. So today, if you're tired, if you're feeling exhausted by the pressures of life, I believe that Jesus is inviting you into his rest. And that's so much more than a day off, or even so much more than a Sabbath day. Jesus is inviting you to come to him and to experience the true rest for our souls. Sabbath kind of serves as this signpost that points us to the God of rest. That points us to, as John said earlier, that points us to the age to come where there is perfect peace and perfect rest as we're in the presence of God himself. The Sabbath points us to Jesus, who said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen? Amen. John and Alyssa, do you want to come and and lead us in a time of response. Maybe I'll just pray as they get prepped to lead us. God, we thank you for this beautiful gift of the Sabbath and this invitation to put away the lies of the world, that we are what we do, that our worth is in how how much we produce or the things that we accomplish, and to just be, to, to, to acknowledge that our acceptance before you comes long before we ever work to try to earn it. And so I pray for, for, for our church, that we would be a church that, that lives and loves and leads out of a place of rest in you. That you would help us to put away the idol of work and, and to do our work, to do our ministry, to do our, our everyday life and family and leadership out of a place of rest, knowing that you love us and that your burden is light. So do this great work in us, we pray. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.